Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. So glad to have uh, see Sister Roxana this morning. This is my first time to see her since we got back home. So good to see you, amen, this morning in the house of the Lord. And uh, see your smiling face. That brings joy to my heart uh, to see you today in the house of the Lord. And I pray and hope that all is well with uh, Bob. Amen. Love to see him as well. But it's good to see you this morning. So thankful that you're here. Psalms chapter number 60. I want to read just verse 1. I want to revisit something here today. Psalm 60 and verse 1, the Bible says, David in his writing, the Psalms, O God, thou hast cast us off. Thou hast scattered us. Thou hast been displeased. O turn thyself to us again. O God, thou hast cast us off. Thou hast scattered us. If you were just stop right there at that comma, thou, thou hast cast us off, God. You have scattered us. But then the true perspective comes in. Reason why these things have happened. Thou hast been displeased. O turn thyself to us again. And James tells us if we'll draw nigh to God, he'll draw. If we'll turn to God, he'll turn. Amen. I want to, for the next three Sundays, I want to revisit something. I want to talk about things that displease the Lord. I want to talk about things that displease the Lord this morning. Amen. There are places in Scripture, you know, if, if you know the things that displease God, then if you stay out of that, you know you can be in the vein of what pleases God. So things that displease the Lord. Amen. Father, I come to you today. I'm so grateful, God, to be able to be here today. God, it is an honor and a privilege, God, to be here. Lord, have an opportunity to be here. Others, Lord, unable to do so because of sickness. Others, unable to do so, God, because work, Lord Jesus. But, God, I am able, Lord, to be here today. And I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, for being here. I pray, God, that you administer, Lord, through your word. God, as we again, Lord, unfold the pages of the scripture, we look at them. God, help it, Lord God, to bring instruction and guidance and understanding to our life. God, it will not fail to thank you, Lord Jesus, God, for the enlightenment of your word. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen. Everybody say amen. amen. God bless you this morning in Jesus' name. Things that displease, things that displease the Lord. To say that someone is displeased with you is a whole lot softer than saying that somebody's angry with you, isn't it? Sometimes even in our own lives we pass off the idea of someone being anger, angry with us. We soften up, well, you know, we had a disagreement. Well, let's just say what it was. You had an argument. We like to soften things up. And even as kids sometimes, or, or kids and parents, you know, they, they, they might have told someone that, you know, my mom and dad was angry with me. And being a parent as we are, honey, I wasn't angry with you. I was just displeased with you. It just sounds better, don't it? I was just displeased with you. <clears throat> and what we do when we're trying to do that, we're trying to take away some of the the potency, if you will, some of the straightforwardness of the word anger and the connotations that come with the word anger. But whenever we look at the word anger or angry is defined as being or showing a strong displeasure or displeasure on any level, 
displeasure on any level, particularly the level that it has a negative side to it. David begins his psalms unto the Lord of Psalm 60 by crying out to God and saying unto the Lord a couple of concerns. Number one, Lord, my first concern is this. Thou hast cast us off. Lord, we are feeling forsaken right here. We're feeling somewhat detached from you. And we have this feeling of separation from you, God. And we're void of your presence right now, God. You have cast us off. In essence, David was just saying, Lord, you've left us. You're not interacting with us the way that you had once interacted with us. And secondly, Lord, thou hast scattered us. We're a little disoriented. We're, we're, we're scattered. We, we feel a little uh, confused. We, we, we're not cultivating any unity right here. There seems to be division and disjointedness. And, uh, and you know, you, you can be, you have unity without being unified, don't you? You, you tie two cat's tails together and throw it over a clothesline. They might be together, but they're not unified. <laughs> Amen. And so David comes across with these concerns, or you might even call them complaints, and with all these observations, he's looking at, you have separated from us, we feel scattered, we feel cast off. And then he uncovers, perhaps, by self-examination, the real reason why he's feeling what he's feeling. The real reason why he feels scattered, the real reason why he feels cast off. He hits the nail on the head with the third phrase. He said, thou hast been displeased. Thou hast been displeased with us. In other words, there's some, some thought, some action that, they had done or maybe something that they had not done that they should have done that was displeasing unto the Lord amen angry if you will the Lord was angry with them and whenever you are angry or displeased with somebody on a very natural level uh, it doesn't promote an environment for togetherness does it huh you've ever been displeased with anybody in your house do you at that moment in time feel like rubbing shoulders? Sharing a milkshake from the same straw? <laughs> Absolutely not. Because that, 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 that feeling of displeasure, that anger, doesn't promote an environment of togetherness. You, you may be a little bit more standoffish if there is anger or displeasure. It's hard to go near one that is very, the very source of your anger. The Bible speaks of uh, of a woman that's been scorned you might as well go on the housetop because you'd be better off that's what the book of proverbs basically tells us uh, you might as well go to to the housetop because it's not going to be well very well within the home and so the offender may believe that you know they just need to get over it but there must be some legitimate reason why the other one is upset and if so, there must be ultimately some type of amends that is made so that there can be, once again, kindness and gentleness and togetherness within the home. And so David is desiring for the Lord to return to him again. He can't stand this feeling, or otherwise he wouldn't have brought it up. He can't stand this feeling of feeling cast off and separated from God. He wants the relationship that he had before with God, feeling that he's close, feeling that he's nigh, feeling that he's... Near, He wants what they had before the Lord was displeased. And so our focus for the next few weeks is going to be not, not necessarily on how to correct the wrongs, but how to prevent them. It's a whole lot better to be a preventative type maintenance than it is a reactionary type maintenance. 
It's a whole lot better to be on this side of keeping it from happening than having to, you know, repair everything after it's happened. And so there are several occurrences throughout God's word and, and the Bible where this thing is relayed that God shares with us things that displease him. He just comes right out, of the, right out of the pages and shares with us things that displease him or where things that happen that people do or maybe don't do, things that make them angry. There are times when his people did evil, the Bible plainly calls it that, evil in the sight of the Lord. And so we want to view those times that the Lord was displeased. All right? Everybody okay with that? Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 38, verses 8 through 10, is one of the times that said, what happened and took place was something that displeased God. The Bible says, And Judah said unto Onan, Go in unto thy brother's wife, and marry her, and raise up seed to thy brother. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his. He has knowledge of this. He's going into this open-eyed. What, what's being spoken of in verse number 8, this was a customary leverate marriage. Leverate marriage that was included in the law in Deuteronomy 25 that if a man had a wife and he did not produce seed they did not produce seed together and he died having never produced seed with that wife then the law prescribed Old Testament law in Deuteronomy 25 that his brother next of kin should take that woman as his wife and then they should have a seed. They should have offspring. But that offspring should be in the honor of the name of his deceased brother. That was the Leverite, amen, marriage vow or law of the Old Testament. And so that's what's going on here. Judah, Judah said unto Onan, go unto thy brother's wife. Because his brother had passed away. His brother had passed away and they had no seed to their family or to their name. So it was Onan's responsibility according to the law to go into his brother's wife, bear a seed, and that would be unto his brother. And Onan knows, according to verse number 9, that the seed should not be his, but it would be to the honor and to the name of his deceased brother. And so verse 9 says, And it came to pass when he went in unto his brother's wife, and that's exactly what you think it is, that he spilled it on the ground, his seed, lest that he should give seed to his brother. And the thing which Onan did, verse 10 says, displeased the Lord. Wherefore he slew him also. And so since Onan did not totally carry out the responsibility that belonged to him as being the brother of the deceased, the Bible says because of this evil that he did, that it displeased the Lord and the Lord slew him. Now, here's one thing we got to realize. This is not like a bait and switch for Onan. Onan's not entering into this marriage and raising the seed with the thoughts and the feelings that whatever happens, whatever offspring we have, that's our children. He's not going in with that mind frame. The Bible says he knows, verse 9, from the very beginning. That's, that's not the way it should be. His seed, if they have a seed, shall not be his. It's going to be his brother's. And so with his eyes wide open, when he was given the opportunity to raise a seed into his brother, according to Deuteronomy 25 and Old Testament law, that according to Deuteronomy, he could have openly refused. Knowing that he was going to bear a seed that wouldn't be his own, he could have said, you know what? That just, that's not my thing, all right? That, that isn't me. I'd just rather not. You can go find the next, the next son in line. That can take care of that. But he didn't. But he didn't. He would have no doubt bore reproach if he had done that. But nevertheless, he didn't do that. So what that indicates is that he had a choice in the matter. 
He had a choice whether to accept or deny this responsibility. And so he enters into this knowing the seed would not be his. And he knows that if his brother's wife, this is what he knows. He knows if his brother's wife gets pregnant after their time together, that that firstborn will bear the name of his deceased brother. Now here, and I'm not going to get graphic here, but Onam proceeds and has relationship with his brother's wife, and he don't have any objection to that. Please note. Doesn't have any objection with having relationship with his brother's wife. Amen. But the Bible says that he withdraws himself from her, and his seed spills on the ground just prior to the possibility of her getting pregnant. He withdraws himself with her. Why? Lest she has then a baby that begins to form in the womb. And when that child is born, it would be called by his brother's name. Now, the Lord, the Bible says, the Lord is displeased with this whole scenario. Because let me break it down for you. The Lord is displeased with a man, Onan, who wanted to limit his service. All right? His service. When his service was going to exceed himself and extend to somebody else besides himself. He had no objection with the relationship with the woman. But the moment that it wasn't going to be self-serving but other serving. He said that's where I cut it off. And the Bible says the Lord was displeased with that. He, he had no problem with the gratification. That he was getting in the moment. He didn't just want to secure a prolonged honor of another man. Whenever he would have been the one responsible for the child. Does everybody hear me today? So God is displeased with a man. That will not do the work. Without wanting and having and needing the credit and the recognition. That's what it boils down to. With Onan. Onan knew this was the case up front. Onan knew that if Tamar was to have a child, it would not be accounted as his. And that he would invest in the life of a son that would always be recognized by the name of his deceased brother. And he says, if I'm going to be involved in this, basically what it boils down to, he didn't want honor to go to somebody except him. He wanted the credit. He wanted the recognition. His name wanted to be in the limelight. He wanted the credit. He didn't want somebody else getting the credit for maybe the work that he had done. And the Bible says that God was displeased. God was displeased with that type of attitude. Amen. See what he did? He served until it wasn't going to benefit him. He involved himself in that relationship with that woman up to the point that it wouldn't benefit him. God says, I'm displeased with that type of activity. Amen. So Nan says, I can't give something where I'm not going to get anything else in return. So I, if I'm going to give, I want something back. If I'm going to do something, I want something in return. If we are not careful, we can get on the displeasure side of God because we can. Sometimes it can creep up in very, very passive ways that we would adopt the same activity. I give my offerings. I expect something back. I pray to you, Lord. I should get something back. 
I come to church every time the doors are open. I should be getting some. See what that does. We're fine serving as long as there's some type of boomerang effect that, you know what, I should get some privilege back from this. But are we willing to serve whenever there's nothing coming back? Are, are we willing to do it for the honor, just for honor's sake? God says whenever we get the idea that, that, that it, we got to have something back, you know what that is? Today we might call it a spirit of entitlement. It's owed to me. It's owed to me. Uh, you know, God, I'll render my services as long as it return benefits me. I'll do every, what, whatever you want me to do as long as, you know, the proper recognition and proper credit. Uh, the, 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 the servant of Elisha by the name of Gehazi fell into this trap. He was servant to the great prophet of the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter number 5. He fell into this trap. He's, he's going around everywhere Elisha goes. He's seeing the miracles, the signs, and the wonders that are done. All this stuff taking place. He is in company with that. And being in the position that he was, being the servant of Elisha, was in the very same place that Elisha was with Elijah. I mean, it all goes comes down to this. Probably whenever Elisha's going to die, you know who's going to be the next prophet in Israel? Gehazi. Because he's serving the capacity that Elisha had served in under Elijah. And they're going. And the Bible talks then about the story of Naaman, some of you may be familiar with, uh, who had leprosy. And he, he dipped into the river seven times. And when he had done this, his skin was clean. And the Bible says that Naaman, because of this great deed that God had done for him, he wanted to give gifts unto Elisha. But Elisha says, no, I can't accept any of your gifts. Number one, this thing isn't because of me. It's because of God. Now, there's a good person that's doing service without having to have recognition and honor. He said, this thing isn't attributed to me. It's attributed to God. Don't worry about it. Go on your way. Well, he goes on his way. And what's Gehazi thinking in his mind? We've dealt with Naaman here. We got him to the river, you know. We put all this work, you know, into doing this. And so while Elijah is, Elisha rather is over in the room, the Bible says Gehazi goes out on his beast to go meet Naaman. And as he's traveling out there and Naaman sees him, Naaman gets down off of his beast. And Gehazi is trying to get what he wants through a means of a lie. He says, not long after you left, Naaman, he said, we had some guests come to the house. And, you know, some of those change of garments you were talking about and some, some of those, those goods and gifts that you had, we could really use some of those right now. Isn't it? You, 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 you see sometimes we talk about we whenever we's really me. How often does that happen? We say we because it's more powerful when it really comes down, it's me. Because I've, I've heard it in my time. You know, there, there's some people that have some problems about such and such. And you start asking them, well, name the people. Well, it, there is no other people. It's just them. <laughs> and so here's Gehazi with his committee of we. <laughs> so we could really use some, some, some of those garments and some of that stuff right now. And the Bible says that he gave them all of that stuff. To, you know what it was? Gehazi was dealing with the spirit of entitlement. He says, we, we've involved ourselves in this for several days down. He's cleansed. And I know Elisha didn't get anything. He said, but hey, I worked in this too. Huh? I worked in this too. And so a spirit of entitlement. And so he took everything back. And the Bible says Elisha spoke to his servant Gehazi. He said, where you been? Oh, I've not been anywhere. Just fine, you know, out there. Oh, nice day outside, you know. I've not been anywhere. He said, Elisha said, did not my heart go with you? 
In other words, I know what you're up to. He says, and here's the thing. You wanted all the gifts and everything of Naaman? He said, the leprosy that was upon him now is going to be upon you and your descendants. Because a man couldn't just let the work be the work, but he wanted credit and recognition for it. Spirit of entitlement. Spirit of entitlement. The Bible says in Numbers 11 and verse number 1, Numbers 11 and verse number 1, here's another thing that brought displeasure or brings displeasure, I should say, unto the Lord. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. (laughs) And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the, everybody say, uttermost, and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. When the people complained, it displeased the Lord. I smile every time I say that because I'm just even thinking about myself sometimes when I have complaints. Yes, sir. And particularly sometimes whenever I have complaints that, you know, I leverage toward God. It says, but whenever they had complained, it displeased the Lord. Now, let's set the stage here, the context of the scripture. The children of Israel has just recently left the wilderness of Sinai, and now they abide in the wilderness of Paran. As the situation is, each time that they would pitch their tents, each time the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant would stop and the setting up of the tabernacle would take place, the tabernacle would always be housed and situated in the middle of the camp of the Israelites. There would be, you can read the numbers, there would be three tribes situated to the east, three tribes situated to the south, Three tribes situated to the west and to the north with the tabernacle right there in the middle of them with the Ark of the Covenant in the middle with, if I might say, because they revered the Ark of the Covenant as the presence of God with the presence of God right in the midst of them all. And so you had all the other three tribes there fanned out as the presence being the center point fanned out to the east, to the west, to the north, and to the south. And the Bible says that the Lord... The Lord was displeased when the people complained. Now, there was a lot of complaining went on in the winter. We don't have anything to eat. We don't have anything to drink. We'd been better off if we stayed back in Egypt. They had better food back there. We had better homes to live in. Why don't we get a committee together and just go back? Moses dealt with it a lot. Man, he was a man of God. He was a man of God. I mean, God even at one time said, Moses, let me just blot them totally out. And Moses says, no, God, you have to blot me out first if you're going to get to that. Now, that's a man of God. Complaining, complaining. We don't have no food. We don't have no water. You give us manna. Well, we've had manna too many days. I mean, just like you couldn't make these people happy. They didn't have no food. He gives them food. They don't like the food that they got. Complain, complain, complain. And so the Lord was displeased. And since he was displeased, his anger was kindled. And in this verse, in this setting of scripture, his anger was kindled insomuch that to the point that the Bible says there was a literal fire that burned among them. Literal fire that burned among them and burnt among them and consumed. Consumed some of them. And whenever I say them, listen to me, who are who, who, who is the them? It's referring back to those who complained. Now, now here's where I want us to throw our attention. Notice though, exactly where it burnt and where it consumed them. In other words, where the them 
were located. Them, you can go back, Numbers 11 and verse number 1. Them are those that were in the uttermost parts. The uttermost parts of the camp. God's presence, the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle is in the center of the tribes with the tribes encircling it and going out. Those that were in the innermost circle, if you will, were the closest to his presence. But those that were on the uttermost, someone hear me? Those on the uttermost are on the peripheral of the nation of Israel. They're on the peripheral of all of the tribes. They are the furthest away from the presence of God. They are the furthest away from the house of God. They're the furthest away from whatever pertained to God. It's those that were on the uttermost. And the Bible says the Lord was displeased when they complained. More importantly, when those that were the furthest from the presence of God were the ones that were complaining. Because the Lord is displeased when people on the fringe of the camp are the ones that are complaining. You hear me? He's saying those that are on... Son, we have, we have, we know, we have Dan over here, and we have, we, we, we have Nephitali over here, and we, we have this tribe over here, and there's a lot of people within the tribe. But let me tell you something. If, if the McGee tribe or, or the McGee household within the McGee tribe is there, I'm going to try to get stationed as close as I can to where the tabernacle in the wilderness is. I'm going to try to get stationed as close as I can to where God's ark and God's presence is. I, I want to be close to where I'm not going to linger out here on the the outskirts or the peripheral I want to try to get and so God says I'm displeased when those that have stationed themselves on the outermost peripheral of the camp are the ones that have a voice that's complaining about my presence my glory what's going on what's not going hey you station yourselves outside on the peripheral these people were far away from the ark they're far away from his dwelling place they were still considered to be in the camp. But they were complaining about what they were presently experiencing. But they put themselves right on the edge. God says, I'm displeased. Huh? Someone say amen. Have you ever known anybody complain something about they could do something about? Huh? You ever known anybody complain something about something they could do about it? You know, it'd be like me sitting at home today. Boy, I'm just hungry. Don, I'm telling you what, it'd be really nice to have something for lunch. I'm just hungry. I wish we had something around this house. Well, you know, there's money in my wallet and so on. Not literal money. We do, you know, all that debit stuff nowadays. But, you know, I have it within my power to either go to a grocery store. We do have a few restaurants, even within Mount Carmel. And I could take care of the need. Or I could sit there all afternoon and complain about what I don't have, about being hungry, when I have the power to do something about it. So God says, I'm displeased with those that are complaining because they're on the outskirts. But they could do something about where they are positionally in the camp. They were wanting the effects of being at the door of the tabernacle, but they wanted to be at the edge of the camp. I dare to say this, or at least this is my 
experience in life is that usually the habitual complainers are not normally those in the innermost circle around the church, around the tabernacle, around the presence of the Lord. A lot of times the complainers are those that haphazardly live their lives just on the fringe so they can still be recognized as in the camp, but only as close as they are without being much closer. So the Bible says God's fire burned among them, but not in the way they hoped. They hoped for a fire, but it was like the, you know, the spiritual powerful fire, the, the, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night type stuff, not the type of fire that they got. Amen. Everybody doing okay? Another area in which the Bible says the Lord was displeased is in 2 Samuel 11 and verse 25. Bible says then David said unto the messenger thus shalt thou say unto Joab let not this thing displease thee this is this is David don't let don't let this thing displease thee as it was written or passed on to Joab for the sword devoureth one as well as another make thy battle more strong against the city and overthrow it and encourage thou him. Verse 26. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the mourning was past, her grieving was past, David sent and fetched her to his house. And she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased. Now, if you remember anything concerning the story of the David and Bathsheba story, the Bible tells us it was a time in which kings go out to war. But David stayed home. And it's even the way that the scripture almost reads it, it's as though that David just even hesitated or paused. He wasn't going the same day when everybody else went. He might even, he might even wasn't going to stay completely home, but he just paused and hesitated in going to war when it was necessary to go. Bible says that he went out upon his balcony in the evening time and he beheld Bathsheba that was bathing herself and he made an inquiry concerning her about whose wife she was or who she was and the servant basically told him that she was another man's wife but that didn't seem to hold no grounds with David anyway from that point in time David then tried to scheme some things and and uh, he laid with Bathsheba and she was with child and knowing that, you know, her husband was out to war, that there was some way that people would probably start to connect some dots. And so he's trying to cover this up. So he calls Uriah home from battle and tries to persuade him to go home and be with his wife. And yet he don't. He sleeps at the gate of the king, said, how can I go down and be and find pleasure with my wife when the Ark of the Covenant is out on the battlefield and all these people. And so David was very, very uh, diligent in trying to get him to go home with his wife so that whenever it was found out she's pregnant, people would just assume, well, Uriah came home from battle. There you go. You know, there it is. But that ain't the case. So he never seemed to get the job done. So David moved to plan B, which he was going to cause, have Uriah take his own death letter in his hand. He said, Uriah, I want you to take this back to Joab, Joab, the captain of the host. And written within the, the letter basically to Joab was this, Joab, I want you to set Uriah in the hottest place of the battle. 
Whenever it becomes vehemently hot and it becomes a difficult struggle, have everybody pull back so that Uriah will be slain in battle. And that's exactly what happens. Amen. That's exactly what takes place. And the Lord is displeased. Is he displeased with David committing adultery with Bathsheba? Absolutely. Is, is he displeased with, with uh, Uriah being murdered? Absolutely. But the underlying thing is this. The Lord is displeased whenever David pulled another man. You listening to me? Whenever David pulled another man, Joab, into his sin and into his error. In other words, and I'm not speaking for God, but if you're going to sin, do it by yourself without pulling other people in with you. If you're, if you're gonna if you're gonna walk off the path, don't garner a committee to walk with you away from God. Do it all by yourself. He was displeased whenever David pulled another man, Joab, into his sin and his heir. Because David, David wanted Uriah removed from the scene. And so David is the mastermind behind all of this scheme. But here's the thing: David didn't want to do it by himself. Huh? No, because he already has a laundry list back here he's trying to keep covered up. He just can't go out and kill Uriah because that's going to open up the can of worms that's really gotten bad. You see, and that's how sin starts. It starts with the little Bathsheba episode, and then it starts, you know, with murder, and it starts with pulling another man into that, and then, you know, it just never stops. So he pulls Joab in on this horrible plot. Joab is the captain of his army. He's in a close, intimate relationship with Joab because Joab is serving his king as the captain of the host. And so David's going to take advantage of Joab's loyalty. He took advantage of, De- of Joab's loyalty. He's my servant. He's the captain of my host. We have a friendship, and I'm going to take advantage of his loyalty since he's loyal to me. in the course of my life people take advantage of friendships that they had even in church that whenever they started to go awry they wanted their friend to go awry with them so that it moves the, the spotlight that it's not them it's, it's a something with that thing So Joab knows firsthand what they are attempting to do here. He knows. He's got the letter from Uriah himself concerning Uriah's distance. He knows what's being attempted to do right here. He knows that it's wrong. He knows that it's not right. But he stays loyal to his relationship with David. Let's pause right here and just all agree on something. If you don't, then that's fine. The Bible's right. You're wrong. But let's just agree on something. There isn't a relationship worth having that's going to foster air in your life. There isn't a relationship having worth sinning in your life. Amen. We don't just jump on the bandwagon of wrongdoing because, you know, everybody else is jumping on the bandwagon of wrongdoing and head in that direction and hit the horse on the backside so we can get there quick. No. The point of consideration is this. Joab, it doesn't matter how many times David says, because notice what he said. 2 Samuel 11, verse 25, the messenger that is sent. Huh? Don't let this thing displease you. Right? I shall say unto Joab, let not this thing displease you. What, what he's asking Joab to do. 
or that Joab is, is, is dead and going to be taken off scene. Joab, don't let this thing displease you. Listen, listen to pastor this morning. Listen, it does not matter. It does not matter how many times the Davids that are off in left field say into your life, don't let this thing displease you or it doesn't matter. It's no big deal when ultimately it's a big deal to God. You hearing me? It doesn't matter if they say, well, this isn't a big deal. Who cares if a man tells you it's not a big deal? If God says it's a big deal, it's a big deal. Don't even take your pastor's word for it. Look at the book. If it's a big deal to God, it's a big deal. I don't care who tries to minimize it, what type of clout or position they have. If it's a big deal to God, it's a big deal. Amen. The Lord wasn't pleased with David's adultery. Wasn't pleased with his plan of killing or to kill Uriah. Because there's more people that lost their life than just Uriah in that whole thing. You realize that? There were more people than just Uriah that died that day. Because David was after one man. There was a, there was a falling of lives more than just Uriah. So you better believe that God's not displeased. Or God is displeased with David. Because he's involved other people. Using his relationship that he has with him, he's involved other people. Using his loyalty that he has with them as leverage, he's involved other people in his sin. Other people in his error. Sometimes I see them, and I know they have choices and stuff, but there are sometimes that, man, there are some people that get caught in the crossfire of people's decisions. And through naivety or whatever it may be, get taken because they had a loyalty or a friendship or a XYZ. The Bible says in Romans 14 in verse number 12 so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Man, there is a lot of weight. Each one of us give account of ourselves to God. Your pastor will give account for you as well, Scripture tells us. It's not like we're going to be able to lie to the Lord, you know. He knows all things. It's not like me talking to you, Brother Terry, and being able to maybe to smooth, you know, smooth it over and somehow get you in the fog, you know. We can't do that with God. For that matter, let's consider this. Your pastor's going to give an account too. How are those accounts going to measure up? I mean, if you, if you were going to try to take advantage of God as though that were possible, here comes in your pastor, he gives an account for you, and then you give an account for yourself. How's your view of yourself and compared to how your pastor views where you're at? The fact of the matter doesn't really matter because God knows the truth. He knows the truth. But every man is going to give account for himself unto God. We are going to bear record. Verse 13 says, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather. 
that no man put a stumbling block. This is where I really want to get to. That no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. What is that? The Lord don't want you to bring somebody. You don't, he don't want you to cause or occasion another person to fall, to error. And that's what David had done for Uriah. What David had done for Joab. He had become a stumbling block. And had an occasion then for Joab to fall because of what he was asking him to do. Amen. Now, David, you know, if we're talking about Brother David, he's going to have to give an account. Not to give an account. I wrote Joab in on my misdeed. That's what I did. Amen. And so we, we got to be careful then not to put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in our brother's or sister's way. Amen. Don't, don't try to get, you know, again, as I said from the beginning of this particular one, displeasure of the Lord, if you want to sin, if you want to transgress, do it by yourself. But we're social creatures, aren't we? We're social people. Unless you're just a hermit, to some degree, everybody likes to do something with somebody sometime. God says, though, if you're going to try to pull them, if you're going out and you're go by yourself, don't take anybody with you. Leave alone the other people in your life that you consider to be your friends. Don't try to pull on them to make the same mistake that you made by trying to brush off the seriousness as though don't be displeased in this. Let them be. Because here's the fact of the matter. You know why you need to, if you're going to go off your own way, you do it by yourself. You know why you need to leave those that you have loyalties with and friendships with in the church, whatever. Why you need to leave them be? Because you might need them in the church whenever you decide to come back home. Yeah, you might need them. You might need them. Whenever you come back home. If you'll stand with me this morning. Now, Brother McGee, you are such a negative pastor, such a negative person. Now, let's just flip this for a moment. Now, if it displeased the Lord, if it displeased the Lord, whenever somebody was willing to do service, yet when they started to get the recognition, they withdrawed. All you got to do this morning is invert that and say what pleases the Lord is. Then when those who will give their service and they don't care if they get the recognition or credit, there's your positive. If the, the, the scripture we learned this morning that it displeased the Lord when the people that are on the fringe of the camp are complaining about the condition or what's going on, if that displeases the Lord, then it pleases the Lord when those are trying to get as close as they can to the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God. And things might not be exactly the way they want them. But you know what? They know God is God. And they're just going to go on about their way. That pleases the Lord. If it displeases the Lord for a man to involve another or pull a person into their sin. Don't, mis, don't misconstrue this one. That Well, it pleases the Lord that someone just goes sins by themselves. No, that's the wrong thing. It pleases the Lord then if you will remain in the church and be an advocate to keep others that you're loyal to in the church in serving God. 
There's your positive. All you got to do is invert what displeases him and to know what pleases, what pleases him. We embower our heads here this morning. Amen. All across this building, things that displease the Lord. It's good every once in a while. David said, said, Lord, you're far from me. We're scattered. And if we won't watch ourselves, we can just think that this is a, you know, this is a God thing. You're far away. We're feeling ostracized. We're feeling alone and undone over here in left field. But David came upon it. He, he, he was very self-aware, and he came upon it. He said, but there, there's some things that we have done that have displeased the Lord, and it's that aha moment. Oh, that's the reason why we're feeling scattered. That's the reason why we're feeling estranged. And so I'm telling you this morning that if you ever in your relationship with God feel like, Lord, you, you have scattered us. We feel detached from you. And, and Lord, you have cast us off. If you feel like that, you might want to just evaluate life and say, is there any measure or any way in my life where I have displeased the Lord? Because that could separate us from him. That could separate us from from who he is and his presence because sin has a way of doing that in order to remedy then that feeling to remedy that scattered feeling that that being cast off from God feeling then you just remedy the scenario you remedy whatever it is that causes displeasure to the Lord whether it's a sin whether it's an attitude whether it's an emotion whether it's an in whether it's an inaction not doing something you ought to do you just go back and you retrace your steps you just find what it is so that you can once again feel in harmony and in tandem with your maker today. Hallelujah. Can we just begin to pray to the Lord this morning? These altars are open if anybody would desire to find a place to pray and say, God, I don't want to contend with the feeling of being cast, Lord Jesus, down, Lord, or away from you, O God. Lord, I don't want to feel scattered from you. I, I don't want to feel, Lord, at distance from you or God or even at a place where it just seems like I don't feel you right now or that you're just not a priority or important. God, I need you, Jesus, today. Lord, help me, God, to self-evaluate if by chance, God, it is not, Lord, something on your account, but rather something on my account. And help me, Lord, to, Lord, walk the path that is necessary to refuel my fire and my Lord desire Lord Jesus and my hope God that can be found in you help me Lord Jesus today to do that God and I will be eternally grateful unto you help me Lord as the old song used to say to live the way that he wants me to live I pray oh Lord today God as you have prescribed in your word God to follow that Lord Jesus God to my ability to the best of my ability help me Lord Jesus today God and I will not fail to thank you Lord in that measure God I want to be pleasing Lord Jesus unto you and walk Lord uprightly before you in the way God that you have shined Lord the light before us God and we'll be thankful and grateful for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray hallelujah and amen and amen hallelujah the church say amen hallelujah thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.